Hello, everybody. On this week's episode, we talk AFL, Champions League, and NBA playoffs. All that and more on the Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Mo, and joining me today, making his Mo and Friends debut, is Edward. Edward, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Mo. Um, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks, mate. You and I go way back. Um, yeah, we do. July 2005, to be exact. Oh, wow. Down to the very month. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. That's when I um, sort of came back uh, to Melbourne, moved back to Melbourne, and uh, went to St. Paul's. And uh, yeah, you were one of my, my first mates, actually. One of the first people um, that I made friends with at school. And we've been going strong ever since. Yeah, in, indeed. Um, it's what, been nearly 14 years. And even though we um, live in different cities now, um, yeah, we are still uh, are united by our um, mutual uh, love for sports and really enjoying um, the opportunity to um, uh, be part of uh, your show. Fantastic, mate. All right, in tradition, we'll kick off by asking you your favourite moment as a fan and then your personal sporting claim to fame. I've had a bit of time to think about my answers to both of these questions. So I'll start off with the greatest sporting moment. So I'll, I'll begin by saying that much of my experience of following sports teams uh, throughout my entire life has been uh, dominated by failure, heartbreak and disappointment. So for those that uh, don't know... <laughs> Oh no! Yep, go on. <laughs> yeah, so for those that don't know me, um, my uh, respective teams that I follow are St Kilda in the AFL, uh, Boston Celtics in the NBA, uh, and the New Orleans Saints in the NFL. And each of those teams has uh, provided me with a heartache uh, to various degrees over the years. So um, there hasn't been too much joy coming um, out of each, each of these teams. However, uh, one moment that stands out uh, to me is uh, seeing Australia qualify for the FIFA World Cup back in 2005, which I'm sure you'd remember quite well, mate. Absolutely, mate. It was a great moment, that one. Uh, so admittedly, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the world game at the time. You know, uh, whenever Australia played, you know, I definitely would tune in and all that, but I wasn't... Uh, I didn't closely follow uh, soccer as, as much as I do today. But I, I, even at the time, I could certainly appreciate uh, how much this uh, meant to our country. And it's, it certainly uh, sparked my interest in, in soccer. So, yeah, I, I even just, yes, I, through the week, I re-watched the, the famous penalty shootouts that took place uh, over in Sydney. And I could, I could feel like the, the goosebumps and the tension just go through me as I was watching it. And... Um, I just remember back watching this in my, my my lounge room and just screaming and shouting at the top of my lungs and just jumping up and down or, um, inside for however many minutes. And it was just such a, a special moment to experience. And yeah, certainly that was that proved to be pivotal in establishing soccer as a, a big sport or as as a growing sport in in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And also, we had an amazing team back then. You know, really world-class players playing in the top leagues in Europe, especially in England. And I think it would have been a shame if, if they didn't get to show their stuff uh, at the world on the World Cup stage. And they performed really well. So it was fantastic. I think even the World Cup here uh, for Year 12, uh, I think our class ended up making a sort of T-shirts that uh, sort of mirror the Australian national team 
uh, jersey and that's oh, uh, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and we, we all signed them and all the rest of it so it was definitely a heavy influence uh, on us uh, during that time and yeah i think it's yeah. stuck with a lot of people ever since oh for, for sure and uh, speaking of those jerseys uh i did try and uh find where i might have put that jersey or this was back when i a, cu- a couple of houses ago many years ago and i uh, remember just tearing apart my bedroom to try and find it and uh, unfortunately it was uh, not oh, to be found mate so, i still i still have mine though i wouldn't fit in it anymore <laughs> um, i don't think i would have been able to fit in mine as well <laughs> um mate no well, that was fantastic what about your personal claim to fame um, yeah, so I've got a story that's uh, a bit different to the ones that uh, all your other guests have, have presented on your show so far. So I, um, I, I was involved in a, a moment of controversy uh, back in my tennis playing days. Um, so I, I was in the under-12s or under-13s uh, Western Region doubles tournament uh, held at Alterna Tennis Club. We, we happened to make it to the final uh, of that tournament against the team that we had beaten earlier in the day. So uh, we, we liked our chances at um, t- taking out the, the title. Um, however, the match turned out to be umpired by the opposition team's parents. And so we're on the receiving end of se- several shocking uh, umpiring calls. And th- this, understandably, this put us off our game and we ended up narr- narrowly losing the match. We were, we were quite upset um, by what, what had happened. Uh, and we we tried complaining to the the tournament director, um, but that proved to be a bit futile. But then uh, my partner's uh, dad uh, realised that uh, the, the trophies, all the trophies uh, for the day, weren't being presented until uh, all the other age groups had wrapped up, and there were still matches going when we we finished. Uh, he d- seized upon this opportunity, uh, told us that we deserve to be the winners and so grab the winners trophies from within the, the club room and we, we nicked off and we got them engraved no way <laughs> that's insane so you guys actually took them and you still have them it's it's still sitting um in my on one of, in the one of the on one of the cabinets at my mum's place. Mate, um, we need still. a photo of this and we need to post it for people to see. That is incredible. <laughs> yes, well, safe, safe to say that's probably the first time in that tournament's history where there's there no winner trophy to present to the official winners. Oh, that's golden. Were you guys invited back <laughs> to this tournament? <laughs> uh, I think we just decided to quit while we were ahead and I think we didn't, we didn't come back. Oh, mate, that is absolute gold. I've never heard of this, actually. This is uh, definitely a first. Wow. So you played a bit of tennis back in the day? Yeah, yeah. I, I played a bit on and off. I, I, like I, even, even up to like a couple of years ago, I was still I was playing a bit on and off for various clubs and all that. And like I still like to go out and have a hit occasionally. But yeah, back, back then, I'd like to think I was a bit handy um, at tennis. where It was still a level playing field before um, puberty head in, uh, puberty set in, and it, it came to me a bit later than most. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, mate, that is a that is an absolute ripper of a story, and thanks for sharing. Let's kick off with some AFL today. And uh, you mentioned your Saints before, Edward. They're they're not travelling too badly this year, sitting in fifth spot with three and one after beating Hawthorne the last round. What's been the key to your to your team's turnaround this season? Yeah, so. 
Yeah, if you, if you had asked me at the start of the season that uh, we would be three and one after four rounds, uh, certainly wouldn't have believed you at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really been that that sort of season where there's been just a lot of upsets um, that have taken place. It's um, really hard to predict the winner. My, my footy tips are suffering as, as, as a result. Back, back to the, the Saints for a moment. Um, yeah, from, from what I've seen so far, um, there has been some encouraging signs. So in the off-season, we recruited several assistant coaches, so namely Brendan Wade, uh, Brett Ratton, and we also got Billy Slater in to um, help out with the, the tackling side of the game. And I think uh, their influence um, has had a, a huge um, impact on our uh, performance so far. I can see that our tackling and defensive pressure has uh, improved uh, out of sight compared to uh, last year. And, um, yeah, we're a lot more ferocious around the contest. I... Uh, dug through uh, some of our team stats from last year compared to this year, and I saw that uh, for the 2018 season, uh, we were second last in tackles and dead last in clearances and contested possessions. And uh, even though we've only got a small sample size of four rounds to work with, we're currently sitting first in tackles, second in clearances, and uh, fourth in contested possessions. So uh, we've, we've really Im- improved our... The, the contested side of our game and we're making it harder for uh, teams to score against us. That's that's some great insight there, Ed. That's quite the turnaround too. So I'm going from pretty much bottom to, you know, top of the competition in those key key stats. That's quite the turnaround. And is this, you know, purely being attributed to, maybe not purely, obviously players have some development in them, but you're saying the coaching staff that you've brought in has had that much of an impact on the playing group. Well, being being on the outside, you can never never know for sure. But I I, I can see a clear change change in uh, difference in, in our style of um, style of play. And usually, when something like that happens, it's it's uh, almost always due to to coaching. And uh, let's let's face it, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Alan Richardson, and I still think he's he's, he's overstayed his welcome. Um, but that's that's for another discussion. But um, th- th- that aside, I think uh, someone who's who, in my eyes, is an average coach, can benefit the most um, out of having uh, a good supporting cast. And uh, up to this year, our, our supporting cast um, of assistant coaches was quite below par. So yeah, I'd like to think that a new set of ideas um, brought in by these guys has invigorated the the squad. Um, Along, along with some natural development, of, of course. But yeah, I think what, what we can see is um, mostly down to an, an improvement in our in our game plan and our attempt to, to execute it. No, that's great. And this week you come up against uh, a Melbourne team who had their first win of the season in the last round uh, at the MCG. What do you reckon? Were you guys in with a chance or is uh, Melbourne just too good on paper and you think they've sort of started to steady a bit? It's it's really hard to say. Um, well, the way this year has has gone, it's it's really hard to predict how this will go. All I can say is that we'll, we are, we are definitely within a chance. Um, Melbourne is definitely a lot more talented on, on paper compared to us, and I think it really comes down to the the, the midfield battle um, whether we can bring our a tough contested game that we've been. Uh, exhibiting um, this year, our, our pressure when we don't have the ball, and to see if we can nullify uh, Max Vaughan and um, their, their midfielders. So, 
yeah, it's really really up in the air. But yeah, I, I'd rather think we're we're in with with some sort of chance. No, look, fair enough. Let me um, I guess touch base on Carlton for a second. I drove down to the Gold Coast, Ed, to watch the game down at Metricon. It was a beautiful day, perfect day for footy. And the skills on display from both sides were absolutely atrocious. I cannot overstate how bad that game was to watch as a spectacle. Over, over-kicking uh, leads, uh, missing handballs, uh, you know, not laying the right tackles, kicking to a forward line formed pretty much from Gibbons, who's five foot nothing, and then expecting him to mark it between the defenders. I don't know why Bolton started the game with four talls and seeing that Kerno came back from his injury, why did Levi stay in the squad is absolutely beyond me. We saw McGovern for one quarter and then he completely disappeared. And it's just completely shocking. Like the Carlton people, including myself, were just sick and tired of this whole, they're playing well, they're not getting smashed. Oh, that's, oh thank you. Thank you for only losing by three, four goals or less. I really appreciate it because, oh, you're not losing by 100 points. I'm meant to feel better about this team. A lot of these players have had three or four years in the system now, and then you have a first-year midfielder who's been re-signed, by the way, till 2022 in Walsh. He's an absolute star, and he's already a second-best midfielder four games into his career. This is getting ridiculous. We've got no run from the half-back line. You're obviously missing um, Doherty. However, probably our full-backs, I think they've been the best part of our side. If I have to pick one positive, I think Liam Jones, Weedering, supported by Marchback and, and the rest of them, I think that's definitely been our best part of the ground. Our forwards is just too hit and miss. Uh, you know, Mackay is an amazing contested mark, but then he can't convert when you need. Paddy Dow's disposal is still shocking. I mean, he, he shows some signs, but he's shocking disposal. He never gets to make the right decision. Petrovsky's seeding. It's two on and off. And we're obviously struggling in the ruck because, you know, Cruz has been out injured and we've got our third choice ruckman in right now who I think Loeb Phillips is injured as well. So he can barely hold his own. And, mate, it's just getting very tiring watching that team. And they keep saying, stick with it, stick with it. We've won three games in our last 36 games. I mean, even St Kilda in their worst day, had more games and you guys like own the record of wooden spoons or something so mate it's just it's absolutely ridiculous i reckon another couple of losses and my view is we bite the bullet on bolton he's had four and a half seasons now and this team's not getting anywhere we need to change players who are have been in the system for four years haven't really improved and i just don't see where the wins are going to come from if we're not beating the Gold Coast, who are just not a very good team, to be honest. I know they took you guys very close and all, but watching them in person, they just caught a couple of teams napping early on, I think. And I don't think they're they're that good. And I I don't think they'll win many more games for the rest of the year um, based on what I saw. So, yeah, really disappointing. And, yeah, the heart is good and all, but they need to win games um, otherwise, I think they need to make a change. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is uh, the first time that you've uh, ranted about Collingwood on, on record on your show. Is, is that correct? You mean about Carlton? Yeah, about Carlton. Yeah, probably probably the first round because I was sort of waiting when I when we did a preview with Locke on, on the AFL season. I sort of thought, you know, what well, I reckon I pencil us in for a win against the Gold Coast Suns. I thought we'd start the season one and three. I mean, we had Richmond, who you know had everyone playing, and I never thought we'd beat them. Then we were playing the Port away, and then we we're playing Sydney, right? So, being the realistic person I am, I thought, yep, 
look, if we have a good showing, and it was promising. You're, you know, we could have been blown out by Richmond at the start of the game, but they stuck in and they stayed with it. So that was a positive sign. But then after that, you're in every game and then like really bad skill errors let you down, like especially against Port when we had a few chances and Sydney to actually kick goals and we end up kicking behinds or instead of kicking to a tall on a lead, we kick it to, to Gibbons. He's just a serviceable small forward. I mean, he's a very average player and he's just playing because there's no one else to play uh, in that position right now, even though I think, you know, I don't know why Silvani doesn't get a run in just because he's just not giving you much. You know what I mean? It's not because Silvani is that much better, but just try it. Casfold shouldn't be in the side. He's just a waste of space. I mean, every time he marks the ball, whether it's a kick for goal or a kick in play, you always have the feeling he's going to shank it and turn it over, right? And then Kerno, he can't stick a mark this year. And, you know, it's just the basics where you mess up a really nice link in play. The, the back line's doing an amazing job. They take contested marks. Weirding's having an amazing season, you know, even better than his rookie season form. And everyone from the midfield upwards just is giving us nothing. So it's either they're all no good or the coach needs uh, changing to, to get them playing in a certain way. And I'm just sick of these close losses and not seeing a team score 100 points for like three or four years. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah, oh, that, that's another thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, the, the, it's, the, it's the scoring, which is obviously killing you guys too. Um, yeah, like I think the, the record stands at like almost two years. Am I correct in yeah. um, guessing that? About two years since you last scored 100 and yeah, as you said, uh, t- totally agree. Um, there comes a point where you, you can no longer accept honourable losses and you want to see some sort of progress and you know, give, give the supporters some sort of hope. And Brennan Bolden has yeah, been there for over four years and yeah, I'd, I'd like to think his uh, days are numbered if we don't see any rapid improvement uh, quickly. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking by mid-season, if not earlier, if uh, we don't see... Um, of, Carlton doesn't see some results in the form of wins as, in addition to effort, then I think uh, the club might have to make the, the call and move on. Yeah, but we've got Bulldogs, Hawthorne and North Melbourne coming up. So I think there's definitely a winnable game in there and it's just not good enough. You have to give results. Otherwise, four and a half years, look, he was fantastic at the start. We needed a game plan that sort of uh, you know stopped the bleeding and just made us competitive given you know we were in a in bad shape in terms of our experienced list versus juniors coming through and then middle middle of the road sort of players filling in. But then as these young ones have been coming along, we're really expecting a lot more. So let's see what happens. Just lastly, Ed, uh, on the AFL, a few hours ago, uh, Lee Matthews t- tweeted the following, and I don't know if you saw this, but Lee Matthews wrote, the thought of the Swans trading Buddy Franklin for draft choices would be like the Louvre swapping the Mona Lisa for the works of some unknown artist. What are, what are your thoughts on, on that comment by Lee Matthews? I think he's quite on the ball there. So, yeah, Buddy has had a slower, slower than expected start to the year. I think he's only kicked eight goals from four matches, which is still a, a serviceable, uh, uh, more than serviceable result for any key forward. But we're dealing with Buddy here. So the performance standards by which he's judged on are much higher than yeah, your, your average forward. And, yeah, I think it's outrageous that um, Sydney, uh, they are pondering completing his trade um, because he's, he's still, or Buddy still, I think, has another two, uh, at least two or three years um, 
of Decent uh, footy left in him. He, granted, he may not be at his peak anymore, but I think he's still got a like a fifty like a fifty goal a, a season um, player here. And if you if you trade him, then he's still on your books. So and I and I believe that his contract is somewhat back ended. So they're having to pay more for the uh, the later years. So yeah, and you're, you're right, like. In a way, draft picks uh, uh, that can be viewed as investments uh, in the future, but not all investments turn out the way you want them. And there's a lot of uh, unknowns and uncertainty around how they're going to develop, whether they're going to live up to uh, their, you know, their hype in their junior years and, and so forth. So, yeah, I, I think it's it, like doing something like this can tear away the, the very fabric of the club. So I. I uh, totally agree with um, Lee Matthews' sentiments here. Yeah, look, so uh, Tony Shaw, so the, the Collingwood great um, and premiership player, he he floated that idea today that they should consider trading Buddy. Look, here's, here's the thing for me. So Buddy has not shortchanged Sydney, right? He's been worth every cent, I think. He had obviously that year which he, he took a, a bit of time off for personal reasons. But outside of that, uh, during his time in Sydney, Ed, he's made four All-Australian teams. And, you know, his goal kicking return, you know, has, has been stellar throughout his stay and they've always been competitive. Granted, they didn't win uh, the grand final and they've always been there and thereabouts, you know, making finals, etc. On the flip side, Ed, Buddy is 32. His contract runs till 2022, I think. So, you know, most of it has been done. But like you said, it is back-ended. So they will be paying more towards the end of the contract. But with the um, what could happen is they could trade him and then take on some of that salary uh, if another club thinks that they're you know a superstar forward away from a premiership. Because my question to you is, will having Buddy on the team you know make them premiership contenders, or will it just make them a good enough team that will always make the bottom half of the eight? And which means you're never really regenerating with super talent in the draft. You're sort of picking people that are you know midway through. And is that trade-off worth it now, seeing that he's 32 years old and he only has three years left on the contract? So, yeah, um, it is, yeah, there is a, a real, um, a, 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 like a big judgment call has to be made here. And, yeah, so you do bring up a, a, a valid point that, yeah, um, Buddy's value will diminish over the years because, you know, he's not going to be around for, uh, he's not going to be around for uh, too many more years but yeah, it's. I think I don't know if there's like a a, a clear cut, definite right or wrong answer. Um, yeah, with, with the picks, I don't know if you just just go for picks on their own because like, even with like a, a, a couple of first rounders, if we look back in history and the the, the number of uh, first rounders that turned out to be guns, that's actually like a surprisingly um, low percentage. I'd, I'd imagine in order for this to go, go get over the line, it would have to be more than just picks. I'd want to see an extra player or two uh, being being thrown in to sweeten the deal, or yeah, you know, a couple of future picks, uh, what what have you. But yeah, I feel that yeah, just, if if we're just making, if we're just considering the, the, the trade, buddy for picks in the current year's draft, I still think Sydney are getting the unders. I think there needs to be a bit more um, to make that deal a bit more equitable. But, yeah, I, d- I do see your point that, like, the decision, um, like, it's not like they should turn a blind eye to it. Like, it's 
it's something that should be definitely considered or, or should come under some sort of consideration. But I think just the way I see it is, yeah, maybe I, I, I'd feel more comfortable with, with the deal if there was a bit more thrown on top of what was um, suggested by Tony Shaw. Yeah, and look, I mean, you go back to the Bill Belichick school of thought uh, to sell one year too early rather than selling one year too late, uh, if that's the path that you want to go down. So, you know, definitely interesting. I think it should be considered depending on the assets that are up for offer. But he is a great player. He's one of my favorites players to watch in the game. He's electric. He, he knows how to entertain. And if you're going to uh, trade him away, you better be getting something good in return. So, Leah, let's see if they even consider that. Awesome. Let's switch our attention now to the Champions League. So there were two games played earlier this morning, our time, Ed. Uh, Juventus hosted Ajax and Barcelona hosted uh, Man United. And uh, Ajax continue to surprise. Can I be the first to apologize to all Ajax Amsterdam supporters out there, all three of you um, that follow this podcast? You know, underestimated them against Madrid. I really thought that uh, Madrid's experience and, you know, I thought better players would stand up, but they smashed them to pieces. And this morning, the game against Juve, especially in the second half, Ajax were just otherworldly, to be honest. It was great to watch. And if it wasn't for Chesney, uh, Juve's keeper, they could have scored many more goals. There were a couple of times where they were almost going trying to walk it in, reminding me a bit of some of those Arsenal teams under Wenger who would squander so many goals by trying to actually walk the ball into the net. And they were guilty of that uh, during that game. However, uh, you know, the lift was immense. He scored an amazing header. This kid is going to be a fantastic centre-back for years to come. He's already captain. He will definitely be sold to a big club. And, you know, Ajax, uh, listen to this, Ed, their revenue, right, for the year is 20 million euros less than Ronaldo's transfer fee. And their team wage bill is 4 million less than what Ronaldo himself makes. And this is not a knock on Cristiano. I think he held his end of the bargain. And that's what, you know, we've discussed earlier on the pod with regards to the move and how Ronaldo was meant to take them over the line. He scored a hat-trick against Atletico to save them. He scored a header in Amsterdam to keep him in the tie. And he scored another header this morning to give them the lead. And they still weren't able to hold on because I just think Ajax simply played them off the park. It wasn't like Juve were dominating and they made a couple of errors and Ajax took advantage. They were actually the better team on the night. And, you know, given that form, uh, they're likely to come up against Manchester City, I still think, will beat Tottenham. And I think that will be a great game because I think City plays some great football uh, with Guardiola, uh, Guardiola at the helm. And Ajax are playing some great football. So that's going to be a, a super tie if it does happen. So, yeah, I was very impressed with, uh, with Ajax. And I, and I think they've, uh, yeah, they've definitely been amazing in this Champions League. So I, I, uh, I took a look at uh, the, the highlights of uh, both matches. I think, I took, I think I, when I got up this morning, I, I watched the last. Uh, when I, once I saw the Barcelona United result was beyond doubt, I, I watched uh, the last 15 or so minutes of the Ajax. Juventus game and the first thing I picked up was uh, they, they took inspiration from the New Orleans Saints with their, their uh, black and gold uniforms I thought you know <laughs> they, they were pretty well, pretty awesome um, but yeah they are uh, continuing their fairy tale run as you said uh, they're they're a very young team they're uh, filled to the brim with uh, incredible 
young talent. So guys like De Jong, De Witt, uh, David Nerez. And um, most importantly, they, they take the game on. They're not afraid. They're, they're fearless. And, yeah, it's, it's a very uh, attractive game to uh, style of football to, to, to watch. But uh, unfortunately, uh, this team is likely to be uh, raided and pillaged by the bigger European teams sooner rather than later. So we just have to enjoy this team uh, while they last. No, absolutely. You're right. And already the Youngs pretty much signed with Barcelona, so he's gone. And De Ligt, I think he'll go to the highest bidder and we'll see who will pick him up. And whoever does, you know, he's going to have an amazing centre-back for the next 10 years, really. The, the kid's composed. He's only 19, Ed, and he's, you know, youngest captain in Ajax history. Amazing composure, great skills um, in the centre-back position. And that leap between the two defenders uh, from the corner was just uh, fantastic to watch. So, yeah, kudos to Ajax and, and well done. On the other side, Ed, you know, there's a, there's a quote that's misattributed to, to Albert Einstein about the definition of insanity. You know, do you know what it says? It's something about uh, insanity is uh, performing the same experiment over and over again and expecting the, the, uh, a different result to, to come out or something to that effect. This quote is true when it comes to Manchester United and playing Ashley Young. For the life of me, I do not understand how that man still starts games for Manchester United uh, on, the right, on the right flank or at right back. He is a liability. He cannot hold on to the ball anymore. He's lost his speed. He has no more creativity. He was good seven, eight years ago when we got him. You know, he had, full, he had a lot of energy. He was a good substitute. He was a good replacement. He cannot be starting games and he keeps costing us games and they keep playing him. We actually started this game really well. Rashford had a chance within the first minute. They played some really good passes. We were in that game. We weren't being outplayed. And then he goes and loses the ball to Messi. And the rest is history. This season has been a nightmare from start to finish. We had a nice patch when they brought uh, Oli on. And we went on this 10-11 game streak, which was fantastic. And it actually kept our head above water. It kept us believing. It, kept the, it gave the people something to be positive about. But since then, Ed, we've only won two games, right? We crashed out of the FA Cup. We've lost to Barcelona twice. We lost to Arsenal. We lost to Wolves. And I think we only beat, we beat West Ham 2-1 and we beat Watford 2-1. And that's it. And I don't know about you, mate, but I'm just, I'm sick of this season. I just want it to be over. And, uh, you know, it just can't come soon enough. Yeah, well, today's result just showed the clear golfing class between uh, Barcelona and Man United. And to be honest, uh, I wasn't too surprised by this result. Although that being said, that uh, De Gea Howler certainly wasn't expected. We, we just had too many passengers uh, today. And um, the thing you mentioned about our recent record, uh, those two matches that we did win uh, against Watford and West Ham, I thought we were the, the worst team in, in both both cases. So our, our form over the, the last month or so, after that period where we were doing quite well, when Solskjaer was the, the interim manager, uh, since then, uh, or since, since I think the time that we beat PSG away, uh, the wheels have uh, fallen off again. And I'd I'm hoping that it's going to be quite a busy and fruitful transfer period for United. And uh, we, we could really see whether Solskjaer has what it takes to uh, bring this forward, 
bring us up uh, back up the, the top in England and be more competitive in Europe. Uh, because yeah, the, the the last several seasons have been quite mediocre, and we really do need to rejuvenate uh, our squad. Yep, absolutely, mate. I mean, and also, and and that's the fr- the frustrating thing for me is you know one of many is the fact that a lot of these players. Uh, the the gulf between their best day and their worst day is too far because we've seen them on their best and they can take it to anyone in the world. I truly believe it for the vast majority of this squad. I mean, there's a couple of passengers that need to, we need to get rid of, but Martial on his day, Rashford on his day, Pogba, Lingard, uh, you know, even McTominay, which had an amazing game actually against Barcelona at Old Trafford. De Gea is one of the best keepers in the world. The problem is it's too inconsistent. If they're having a good game, it's an amazing game and they're world beaters. And then the next day, they can't even, uh, you know, string a couple of passes together. So that's something that also needs to be worked on because you also can't change the whole squad. I mean, there's some players that are going to stay around either for contract length or wages or whatever else. And we need to find a way to extract the best out of them. And I'm just hoping, you know, riding off the season, going away in the summer, rejuvenating and coming back with a clean slate will do that. And I am still, like I said, two, three weeks ago when it happened, I'm very skeptical of signing Oli. And I just think it was very rushed to do it before the season ended. I would have liked to see this, right? If they had seen the last five games, Ed, do you think they would have signed him at the end of the season? I think, I think it would have been a much harder decision than yeah. uh, the, the one they made uh, only a, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I, I think it was definitely an knee-jerk reaction by the powers that be to, to appoint him straight away because there's still so many games left in the season, uh, so much, uh, so many more opportunities. Oh, the, oh, we were still up until this morning, still in the Champions League. There's still five games left in the in the Premier League as well, and the the next three matches uh, in, in the fixture in the Premier League fixture are all. Uh, quite tough. Uh, Everton away, of course, Man City at home and Chelsea at home. Mm. So it was definitely a rushed decision. And I think given this extra information, it would have been a much more uh, contentious and ambiguous uh, decision to make at the end of the season. Agreed, mate. Yeah, look, it's been very frustrating. And uh, he is to Man City holding Liverpool off, hey? And... uh winning the Premier League because we won't hear the end of it otherwise. That's the biggest uh, problem. So just a question. Uh, when Man United do play Man City, you, you must, you, surely you'll have, you have to be uh, very conflicted with uh, the, the outcome of the game. Not conflicted uh, at, at all, mate. Not at all. Everything for the greater good, Ed. And you know what the greater good is right <laughs> now? Of course. You don't need to mention. Absolutely. So besides that, I don't think we'll be good enough to no, and to get point, a point off City. So I don't think it, it's it's not really a, a a topic worth querying or discussing no, in the first. Absolutely, I think there's a golfing class anyway. That City are a better team than us, unfortunately, and that they would beat us. And with that said, I just won't be entirely upset if it does happen. <laughs> you know, <It's> just, <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying the guys are going to go out there and lose on purpose. I'm saying. They will lose. It's just that the reaction of the, at the end of the game from United supporters won't be what we've seen all season, which is disgust and disappointment and all the rest of it. 
yeah, there's some sort of, you know, supporters that say we must win all our games and you cannot celebrate us losing. And to them, I say, you don't have seven members of your family, Liverpool supporters, and some of your closest friends, Liverpool supporters. So you don't have to deal with the shit that we have to. And to them, I say, go Man City. <laughs> never, never thought I'd hear you say such a thing. On or off record, but... Desperate times, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, well, Leeds are getting promoted, so it's, it is going to be worse. But anyway, <laughs> let's... Um, on, on, on that very depressing topic, let's switch attention to the NBA. And obviously the playoffs are on and, uh, you know, a, a few of the series are two games in. Uh, you know, there's a lot to talk through, so we're going to have to limit it a, a little bit and just focus on a couple of things. One is I tipped the Thunder to actually beat Portland. And I have to apologize to Jared. Jared is one of our very good friends of the show and he won the March Madness um, bracket uh, this year as well. And he's a mad Blazers fan. And I think I've been on their case all season saying, you know, they're going to do nothing. They're getting nowhere. And then Nurkic gets injured. And again, I say, you know what? They're just going to crash out. And OKC have Paul George and obviously Russell Westbrook. However, Portland have won their two games at home. And and the difference has been, Ed, and and you want to listen to this, especially in the second game. So Westbrook and Paul George combined to shoot 16 of 40, whereas Lillard and McCullum combined to shoot 22 of 43. Westbrook shot 5 of 20. Ed, he shot 25% from the field. I'm sorry, but this is just unacceptable from a superstar point guard. You know, that's meant to be one of the best players in the competition. And this is how your team loses. You cannot go 5 of 20 in a playoff game and then the team as a whole shoots 18% from the three-point line. You are not winning any games playing like this. Yes, oh, absolutely. Uh, that was just uh, vintage Russell Westbrook at his finest today. <laughs> yeah. but, but the thing is, it, uh, he's been in the league long enough to know, know better that if his shot is not working, to turn it to the facilitator. He has led the NBA in assists, I think, for the last two or three years. And uh, he, he's shown that he is a, a, an above-average passer and facilitator. So I don't quite get why he still continues to... Uh, persist uh, playing ISO ball and just jacking up threes uh, when it's just not 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 his day uh, and it's and his shots not falling for him. Yeah, I think it's quite ridiculous that him and Paul George took the same amount of shots today. And uh, although you can't uh, fully attribute uh, like any any result to one like specific player, what what they're doing or not doing, there are safe. He shot nine from 20 or thereabouts or even shot less and uh, gave more scoring opportunities to Paul George, Adams and so forth. It would, would have been a much closer game. So I think it's just another case of Westbrook just playing dumb basketball again. Completely agree, mate. He was one of six from the three-point line and Paul George shot 11 of 20 from the field, which is a very respectable 55%. So he definitely dragged the team down there. Steve, Steven Adams is keeping up his end of the bargain. And the truth is, uh, their offense doesn't come from much outside of that, right? So it'll be Adams with some of the alley-oops, putbacks, and sometimes they give him some post-ups. But essentially, it's Paul George and Russell Westbrook, right? 
And if Westbrook's going to continue to play like this, I mean, this series isn't going to go to six games. And I thought they'd actually win it. So he's hoping they make some adjustments and they actually play to their strengths. And he, he makes the smart play. When things are falling, keep taking your shots. When they're not falling, drive. You know, he's a bull when he's driving. He, you know, he goes downhill. He's super fast. And he finishes well at the rim. He's got great athleticism. Keep doing that, you know. And if Enos Kanter is coming to to meet you, and he's not the, that great of a defender anyway, you've got Stephen Adams to dish it off to. So you know, I, I don't know why it, you know ten years into the, in the league and he still hasn't figured it out yet. It, it really baffles me. Turning attention to one of Westbrook's former colleagues, so. Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors, Ed, were 31 points up against the LA Clippers, and they found a way to lose that game. And not only did they lose the game, uh, DeMarcus Cousins has a torn quadricep, which means he's out indefinitely. And I think that has repercussions to the series against Houston. I still think they're going to beat the Clippers in this series, and I think Houston are going to win theirs. So when they meet in the next round, DeMarcus Cousins can't take Clint Capella out to the perimeter where he actually can knock down a three. You're talking about if they're playing with a traditional big like a Andrew Bogut or a Looney, Capella's going to be around the ring and you, you, you won't be able, there won't be any driving lanes for anyone. And so you're, you're going to be even more reliant on Curry and Thompson knocking down their threes, uh, right? So I think that's going to be a big challenge for the Warriors there. And just the mental fragility of Kevin Durant and letting a six-foot-nothing Patrick Beverly get in his head when he could just shoot over him, he's that much longer and taller and more skillful than Patrick Beverly. I don't know how he lets him get under his skin that way, especially when you're 31 points up and then you completely waste away a lead. The Warriors, even though they've won the, you know, the, the rings that they've wanted, they've always been fragile throughout that journey. Like when they won their first one, remember LeBron took him to six games with Matthew Dellavedova being the second best player on the team. The second year, they lost to they lost to the Cavs when Green got suspended. The third year, they go and get Kevin Durant and they win. And then last year, they had to rely on a Chris Paul injury and the Rockets going absolutely cold from the three-point line at home to win. And even then, it was by single digits. So they've, they've always won. They just haven't been the most convincing of champions around. And if Kevin Durant's going to let things like this get under his skin, and with DeMarcus Cousins out, I think they're a bit more fragile than they were. Well, to be fair, in that year that, that uh, they signed Kevin Durant, I think they went 16-1. They almost went through the entire postseason with a perfect record. But... Having Kevin, uh, acquiring Kevin Durant in your team is, uh, very similar to like, a, a team consisting of creator players or adding like an extra creator player, um, to your team, like on NBA 2K and just maxing out the stats. So yeah, even though it's, uh, it does look impressive on the surface, uh, if, if, it, if it was anything but a 16 1 record, then they would have disappointed. Uh, but yeah, now back to uh, the, the state of things. Now I'm not so concerned by the 31 point lead uh, as much, even though it's bad. Or even though it's not a good look, and it's it broke the record for the postseason uh, largest lead uh, conceded in, in a match. I'd like to think that or I'm of the view that the the impact of the the Demarcus Cousins injury, especially if it rules him out for uh, more, more than more than a few weeks. I'd like to think the impact of that is a lot bigger and longer lasting. 
it, it does it does get lost in the wash uh, his contribution to the team. But he is averaging sixteen and eight in, in twenty five minutes, so he, he is providing that uh, post scoring uh, and even stretching the stretching the floor as as a big uh, that the uh, other other players in Golden State don't don't provide. And so he's he's definitely going to be a lot harder. Is uh, definitely going to be. A, a huge challenge to, to try and cover for him. And from what I can gather, it's, it is looking like a fairly uh, serious thigh strain. So this may mean they have to rework their starting lineup and their rotations and, and so forth. And now you've got uh, Andrew Bogut having to re- replace the uh, uh, Marcus Cousins at, at starting centre. And he's a dinosaur these days. So I'd imagine yep. his limits and his... His output is going to be quite limited, so they're going to have to revert back to their their small ball lineup uh, again and, and um, lean on that more. And uh, in so doing, relying more on their their outside shooting, which uh, has been on the whole uh, quite uh, remarkable over the years. But yeah, uh, this makes them look more uh, beatable than than before, because let's, let's face it, a, a starting a, a team. With the starting five, including Marcus Cousins, uh, I it, it would seem very unlikely for any uh, any of uh, the East teams to take them out of the seven game series. But now this uh, this development has thrown a bit more uncertainty or a lot more uncertainty into the mix. So yeah, I, I agree with your sentiments that they are looking a lot more vulnerable and beatable now. And uh, I, I still think that they'll definitely get through the first round. But it's West Sebi's uh, matchup against Houston is looking a lot more of a contest now than before. Absolutely, mate. And just a point on a couple of series that I thought you know went back to the way that they should have, and that is Toronto and Orlando. I think the Raptors really put the foot down. Kawhi Leonard had an amazing game, and and uh, Kyle Lowry uh, showed a bit, which was fantastic. And I think you know Toronto steadied the ship now, and they will still win this series comfortably. And the other side, it was great to see Ben Simmons with a triple double for Philly take the game on, be really aggressive. And Joel Embiid being his amazing self. I mean, this guy's you know one of the most skillful bigs you'll see. He's got great footwork and he's got a really soft touch around the rim. And so he was uh, he was absolutely fantastic. And they blew out the Brooklyn Nets. And I think if they continue to play this way again, they must win. I mean, I tip them to win, and they should win this series in six games max. They are a much better team than Brooklyn, as well as Brooklyn have played. And D'Angelo Russell has been fantastic with with some of his supporting staff, Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and Allen and, and the rest of them. But I think Philly have too much, so it's good to see them, you know, playing up to potential. And uh, you know, the Bucks being the Bucks with a with an easy sweep, I think, of the Pistons uh, coming up. So yeah, looking forward to um, to see how the Thunder will react against Portland, and if the Spurs will uh, do their work uh, at home and take care of the Nuggets uh, now that it's moved over to San Antonio. So watch this space. Well, yeah, this is definitely my favorite part of the year for sports. I always look forward to this two-month window between the start of April and the, and the end of May because there's lots to follow, lots to talk about and uh, look forward to the, the, the rest of the, the NBA playoffs. I don't think my Celtics are going to make too much of an impact this time around. But that being said, I'm, I'm excited to uh, see who, who will uh, emerge out of both conferences to, to play in, in the finals. It, it'll be just refreshing to see a final that doesn't involve Cavs Warriors again 
because I think we all got sick of that uh, by the, the fourth edition of it last year. Yeah, no, look, that's actually a very fair point. Just shows you the impact of LeBron James and how things shift based on where he is. So, yeah, at least we will definitely get one different um, participant at the very least. And who knows, maybe now with the windows slightly open and, the, you know, for other teams in the West to attack the Warriors, maybe, just maybe, Houston might do the job, but we will see. That's about all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Ed, for joining. Uh, thank you, Mo. It was a pleasure to talk sport with you uh, uh, on, on this show and I look forward to chatting with you again uh, in the near future. Absolutely, mate. I will look forward to having you on. Thank you everyone for listening. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you can listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes and we'll chat to you soon.